This morning we're going to start a new series that will last from now until Jesus comes back. That's what's going to happen. So buckle up because it's going to be a long ride. No, we're going to, uh, I, I kind of threatened you with this a few weeks ago. I didn't threaten you. I told you that those are our hearts to do as a church. Um, and I've talked to some leaders and they're excited about it. The, uh, we're going to be looking at the gospel of Mark. Um, I make that joke because literally I did find one church took 96 Sundays to cover the book of Mark, verse by verse. Uh, I don't think we'll spend that long in it. I mean, we could spend longer than that, obviously. Um, so we're going to um, spend some time in the Gospel of Mark. Um, I want to read the word, and then we're going to talk a little bit about that today as we get started in the series, which we cleverly called Marked. That's what we're going to be doing for the next few weeks. We'll probably take some breaks in there. We have some holidays coming up and stuff. We'll stop for those things and worship God in those ways and continue on with the Gospel of Mark. So I want to read to you from Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. You can turn there if you want to, but you can just listen to it for now. We will turn there for sure later on and hear this word Um, But I want to read it together. Uh, The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way. A voice of one calling in the desert, uh, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sin. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's our text. I want to pray, and we're going to spend some time this morning in the Word. Uh, Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to come and to learn, to talk to you, to hear from you. Um, Just like we heard about Noah, we want to be the same, conversing and listening and obeying your commands in our life. We pray, Father, that whatever else we come in here with, we would come with an open heart, open mind to hear from you. Uh, We want nothing less than that, Father. We don't want to do the church thing. We don't want to put on, you know, pretenses or pretend. We want to be just present before you, open, um, humbly ready to receive your word, and that's, that's how uh, we set today. Um, would you help us to do that? We ask today as we uh, learn about you and those who follow you and those who've um, been such a blessing to us by um, being obedient, we pray that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear the truth of the gospel of Jesus. We pray that we'd have hearts to believe it and the courage to live our lives differently because of it. And Father, for the work that you do, we give you thanks and praise. We, we only join all creation in rightly returning praise to you. Uh, we have no wisdom of ourselves. I certainly have no wisdom of my own, Father. But all wisdom, all truth comes from you. And we acknowledge that openly and humbly before you today. Make yourself known to your people. Glorify your holy name. And we will worship you now and forever. All the more as the day approaches, we will worship you. Father God, you are worthy. And we pray this prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So that's kind of our uh, opening into the uh, book of Mark. Um, it's kind of funny to think you could spend 96 weeks or more as a church studying this, bi- this book of the Bible because some uh, fun facts about Mark is it's actually the shortest gospel that we have. Um, I think statistically you can read it in about one and a half hours depending on your reading pace. I'm a slow reader, so I could probably read it in a couple of hours maybe um, if you're just trying to, to get through it. 
Um, I would encourage you to read the book as we're studying it and, because we want to see two things. We want to see the individual um, things we can learn from the Gospel of Mark. We want to see the whole picture of the story, what, what is being communicated to us, or more um, emphatically, what's been preserved for us that we might come to know the truth of Jesus Christ. Um, I was thinking about some other ways. I actually went through and did some math on this. Um, I was, you know, right now we live in such a time, and maybe, I I don't know if it's fair to say that, I I think it's probably fair to say that the the scriptures are more available to us, the resources are more at our fingertips than ever before. I mean, you you can do as much or as little studying of the Word of God as you want. And and really, um, I always encourage you all to study the Word of God for yourselves. Don't say, well, Bill says this, Bill says that, my priest says this, my pastor says that, if you go to another church. But look for yourselves what the Word of God says, because really, all these resources are at our fingertips to study and learn and understand. Not only that, but God has communicated himself and revealed himself in such a way that we can all understand him. Um, We can can have a knowledge of who God is. I, was, I say that because one of the resources at our fingertips right now, which is absolutely amazing to me, um, is that you can actually listen to the audio of the book of Mark if you wanted to, and it would take a little over 80 minutes um, if you just listened to it, streamed it, 80 minutes. I used to work downtown, St. Louis. It's a 40-minute drive. That means in one day of commuting, I could hear the entire book of Mark just driving, M- you know, maybe not getting as aggravated in traffic. <laughs> By the way, if you're just doing something else, you know, besides sitting there um, honking at the guy in front of you or the lady in front of you. But there's opportunities to um, engage the word. I would encourage you, encourage you to do that. Um, we're going to kind of have three um, major things to talk about today. Uh, I want to talk a little bit before we get into the actual text this morning about who Mark is, um, his story, because it's a little more complicated than perhaps I understood or maybe you've given credit for. We sometimes have a tendency to kind of whitewash our, um, our biblical heroes, and we say, well, they must have been completely perfect all the time, and um, they were holier than us, for sure, and they were more obedient and more quick to respond, and they didn't have problems like we have um, in our current day and age. But I want to talk a little bit about um, who Mark is, the first, and then the second thing, I want to talk about um, what he primarily focused on in this book of the Bible, and then we want to actually talk about the text this morning and what we see right away in the book of Mark. I will put out one thing that I fundamentally believe we should be thankful for. We should be thankful that, that men and maybe women were inspired to record the word of God for us. It was a verbal culture then, and storytelling was the primary way you communicated things that were important. But God led people to record things for us, And whatever you understand about the history of the church, we can trust God's Holy Spirit to preserve the Word of God for us. There's great debate now amongst um, believers and non-believers alike about what was valid and what's not valid. But the truth is this. If God is who God says He is, He is more than capable of retaining the Word of God to us. And, in case you're worried, He's more than capable of teaching you and I to understand what it means. That's why we can rely upon Him. So we come to him with the humility, seeking his wisdom through the text and his revelation through his word. So we're actually going to start with who Mark is. And to do this, we're going to take a little journey through the book of Acts. Um, So this is interesting. The Acts of the Holy Spirit or the Acts of the Apostles is where we begin to hear the narrative of who the author of the book of Mark is or the likely author of the book of Mark is. So I'm going to encourage you to turn. I think I have it up here. I didn't get the page number, but um, turn to Acts 12 if you would. Acts chapter 12, 
And we're going to kind of take this little journey through Acts and, and hear a bit of the background narrative of the one who records this first gospel that is such a huge blessing to the church. Starting in verse 5, this is what the word says. You're going to hear some familiar characters here, by the way. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. There's the opening idea. Verse 6, the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Get up, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Verse 8, then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him, and Peter followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea what the angel was doing, if what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision of some kind. They passed the first and the second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. The gate opened before them by itself, and they walked through. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent his angel to rescue me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl whose name was Rhoda came and answered the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without even opening the door and exclaimed, Peter's at the door, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be an angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and then he left for another place. This is in a time of, of persecution for the church, and Herod was going to have his way with Peter, and in, in this case, God breaks Peter out of prison. That's a pretty crazy story. I wanted to say all this to say that this is one place we get a flavor of, of this, who this Mark character is that wrote the gospel of Mark and what his life is about. I, the reason I want to read all that text around it is because it struck me that Peter, the, this um, disciple of Jesus who had done so many things and, and, and had um, denied Jesus and then been restored by Jesus and now was living out his faith in Jesus, when he realized the power, the truth of what God had done, he rushed to the house of Mary. There's some fine details in there that you might catch about Mary's house. First of all, early on in the text, it says that the church was praying to God for Peter. Then at the end of the text, it says when Peter arrived, they were praying for him. So this idea that, that um, um, John Mark's mom's house was, first of all, big enough to hold a church family of some size, uh, such a size that when Peter goes to talk to them, he has to say, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet, I'll tell you the story of what God just did. And so this is the introduction we get of this man we know uh, as, come to know as John Mark. John Mark. 
And so he has this kind of um, legacy. He's in this environment of faith. He's in a home where worship is regular, and he is part of that crowd. There's, there's no doubt that the point is made here for a reason, that this is John Mark's mom's house, right? That's there for us to understand. So there's some stuff to start out with about John Mark. Let's turn now, just a few, uh, maybe a page for me, maybe two for you, to, uh, to Acts 13. Acts 13, verses 1 through 5. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menin, I knew I was going to mess that up, by the way, who had been brought up from, with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. So there's some key players here. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which they, I have called them. And so after they fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. So this is a sending missionary moment, right? God says, send Barnabas and Paul. They lay hands and they send them out. Verse 4. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of the Lord in the Jewish synagogues. And John was with them as their helper. I think I'm caught up. Yeah. So, um, oh, I'm one ahead actually. Okay, we'll leave it there for now. So we know that as Paul and Barnabas are sent out on this missionary trip to go and proclaim the good news to the Jews, to the synagogues, that John is there helping them on this journey. So we kind of have this, this, this team that's gone out to share good news. Okay, now we're going to press on ahead into um, 13, and this is what's going to be up here, 13, 13. So we go from 12, 12 to 13, 13. This is what the word says. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. And this is what I wanted to get to in the narrative of, of John Mark's life. So John Mark comes from this household of faith. He's probably pretty well off. His mom is a, known as a, 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 a you know, key part of the church, so much so that Peter rushes to her house when he realizes the, God, the work that God did. He is sent out on this missionary team as part, as a helper to Paul and Barnabas as they're commissioned by the Holy Spirit to share good news to the Jews. And then in this moment here, we see that he leaves the team to go back to Jerusalem. This is John Mark. We don't have any more of a definition of why, what his motivations are, what was his time done, what was going on, but he left. He left. Paul and Barnabas. Okay, now, um, and I, I would say, you know, in reading it and reading what's coming next, um, you, you kind of get the vibe that um, John Mark was a quitter. Like maybe he was super excited. I kind of get the feeling about John Mark that he was a younger person. I'm not picking on younger people, but you know, sometimes younger people can get really excited about something, and they can run really hard and really fast, and they can just wear out and go, forget it, I'm not doing it. And then they just go back to, or they get, they get bored with it, or whatever, they go back to something else. Um, there's actually a place later on in the, in the Gospel of Mark where we hear about a young man that, who's with Jesus and whenever the authorities try to seize him, he runs off naked. Now, there's some speculation that that might be John Mark, right? Uh, we'll talk about that when we get there. I think it's in 14, 
uh, Mark 14. But we have this um, young man who has quit on the mission field, which sets up this huge issue in Acts chapter 15. And so we're going to study that next. Acts 15. And we're going to read a little bit around here. We're going to read um, verses 36, 36 through 41. Okay. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, they, they've been doing missionary work, they've been planting church, they've been preaching the gospel, and he said to Barnabas, let's now go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. So Paul wants to go back. Barnabas wanted to take John, who's also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him. Now this is why I think we can believe that he was a quitter. Because John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. I'll read one more verse and we'll talk about this. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. So these two missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, who are sent out, and by the way, there's, um, there's some uh, text that connects Barnabas and John Mark as cousins, but they've been sent out, Mark has gone back, and now, at this moment, when Paul says, hey, let's go back and talk to all the churches, that, you know, see how they're doing, see how the word of God is spreading, what the Holy Spirit's doing there, um, Barnabas is like, awesome, John Mark's going to come, and Paul says, no way, no way. And he refuses to the point that he will not go on with John Mark and Barnabas will not go on without John Mark. That might be what you would call a, a, um, a key character, <laughs> you know. I, I'm not sure how I'd feel if I had two missionaries fighting about my allegiance because I had quit halfway through the journey. And we even know, and I maybe caught the, the uh, term there, but it, it very much is cemented in that moment, in that place, that was John Mark who quit. Paul says, deserted us, abandoned us in the time of need that we had. This is a huge thing, especially I would say in Protestant church. Um, because, By the way, if I can just lay this out real quick, Protestant churches is like part of the Reformation. Um, and then uh, other churches that are or, um, not in Protestant churches or kind of don't have, they have disagreement of course, but they don't have these divisions like we tend to have. And, and this text, in particular, church, is one that is often stood in front of congregations to justify doing, like, separating on mission. Like, this text, matter of fact, I will say, at Family Bible Church, this text was used to communicate to this church the reason that we could not go on with other people, and they had to leave. And they would point to this text. Well, and, and we dress it up, and we say, well, it's because we feel called to go there, and you feel called to go here, so we're going to go separate ways, and the Holy Spirit, go with the grace of God. Let's just go with the grace of God. But what this text fundamentally is about is the reconciliation or maybe even the restoration of John Mark, which I think is interesting. The disagreement isn't that Paul says, I wish you go over here and Barnabas over there. No, they agree where they should go, but they don't agree who they should go with. And so John Mark becomes this character who, um, who is, becomes a divisive uh, not person, but issue for these missionaries. Which is shocking to me, by the way, 
Because I, like you, have a tendency to put Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas the encourager, and Paul the great evangelist, um, on this pedestal of, of perfection. They, they, how could they do that? And yet, in this moment, they said, absolutely not, absolutely, and we will not even be able to go together anymore. Um, I, I just can't even imagine being commissioned by the Holy Spirit, how you get to that place. But they do. So you might think, well, then John Mark does that and goes and writes the, the gospel. How, how does that guy get to go and write the first gospel account of Jesus Christ? How, how does the guy that quit halfway on the mission trip get to go back and write the story of the first gospel that's recorded? We hear more in his story. I'm going to turn to the book of Colossians, and I don't know if I have it on the screens. I'm going to check real quick here and see. Let's see, I don't. So I'm going to turn to Colossians first, and then we're going to end up in 2 Timothy, which is the great pastoral epistle. But this is um, Paul's letter to the church in, in, uh, in Colossus, Colossia. And, and he's writing, and he's, he's wrapping up the text. He says something that's really interesting. It's in chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. This is what he writes. My fellow prisoner... Um, I cannot pronounce that word, <laughs> Aristarchus. Uh, by the way, we don't have great names like that anymore, <laughs> like Aristarchus, like name your kid that. Uh, sends you his greetings, and then here's the word, as does Mark. There it is, the cousin of Barnabas. And then Paul says parenthetically, you have received instructions about him, that's Mark, and if he comes to you, welcome him. What? This is Paul who would not go on with Mark. And he says, if, if you hear from him, if receive instructions about him, um, if he comes to you, welcome him. The cousin of Barnabas, this guy, John Mark, something has happened. And as a matter of fact, this is my favorite, I wanted to end this narrative of who the author is um, here in 2 Timothy, 1st and 2nd Timothy are great, uh, including Titus, are great pastoral epistles. And uh, again, in 2nd Timothy, I believe, uh, 4, chapter 11, I mean chapter 4, verse 11, uh, this is what Paul says. Only Luke is now with me. I'm going to put it up on the screen here for you so you can you know, turn it if you don't want to. Um, but check this out. But get Mark and bring him along with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. And I just got to say, whenever I read this split narrative in Acts, my heart kind of goes, ugh, you know, I just feels crazy. And you go, how does that guy get to go and write the first gospel account? But then here, both in Colossians and also in um, 2 Timothy, Paul says, uh, and if when you return, bring John Mark, because he's helpful to me in my ministry. Like, I, I can use John Mark, which I can only um, speculate, I guess, is probably a, a fair speculation, that there was some restoration. There was something in this action of John Mark going on with Barnabas and Paul going on with Silas that they actually were able to be reconciled in the ministry at some point. So much so that in his time of need, Paul says, hey, bring John Mark back to me. He's, he's helpful to me. He's a, he's a comfort to me in my ministry. My ministry. So we have that. Um, that narrative here. 
Okay, so that's a little bit about John Mark, a little bit of his history. I know it's like, okay, I get it. But I mean, I think it's important to understand this is a regular dude like you and me. He's a dude who got caught up in things bigger than himself, like kind of we do with God. Like we get caught up in a bigger story than our own. And he fails along the way. But there's this really cool story of reconciliation as well. Um, all right. The second thing is we want to talk a little bit about what he focuses on in the book of Mark. And then we're going to actually get into the book of Mark and we will, we will spend our time there um, today. Um, so in, uh, in 1 Peter 5.13, which I think I also have up here. Let me see if I have it up here. Yeah, 1 Peter 5.13. I'm going to turn there real quick, and I want to read that to you as well. Um, John Mark ends up focusing a lot on the life of Peter. As a matter of fact, you might say that the Gospel of Mark is a recording of Peter's experiences. There's reasons why this is true, but I want to read to you um, 1 Peter 5.13 as our base. Again, at the end of the letter, this is what um, Peter writes. She who is in Babylon, by the way, that uh, reference to the church, um, chosen to get, not Babylon, but she who is in Babylon. Babylon's not the church, but the church is in Babylon. The, you know, um, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son, Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to you all when you are in, who are in Christ. Um, so, so Peter refers to John Mark as his son, okay? Now, I don't believe we're to take this literally, like my son, but I think that means that Peter was significant in John Mark's faith life. Um, some would say maybe he brought him to faith, or he um, discipled him in the faith. He, he grew him as a, as a believer. He, you know, was instrumental in John Mark's life, and so he says, um, my son Mark uh, sends greetings to you as well. Um, John Mark may have been Peter's interpreter, right? So he maybe interpreted for, uh, for Peter. Um, he may have composed uh, his own gospel from Peter's memoirs. Like Peter might have kind of just told the stories and John Mark recorded the stories excitedly as he heard them. Um, so those are some possibilities. And then here's the last thing I want to say about this and we'll get into Mark. Um, he, he died probably around 64 AD. Okay. A little bit of history. I'm not very good at history, by the way. But um, zero is about when Jesus is born. 30 to 33 AD is about when Jesus died on the cross for the sins of all creation. So we have this BC AD, you know, before Christ, ad dominium, right, the year of the Lord, um, marker of when Jesus came to earth and then died. And what you would have then is you would have John Mark dying around 64 AD, which I'm not great at math, but I think that's, what, 31 years ish after Jesus dies. So what you would basically have here is a memoir in our, I want to kind of give a context, be like a memoir of someone writing right now today in 2016 um, about the late 80s, early 90s, okay? So recently enough that you would know what you're talking about, but enough removed you could really begin to understand what the heck happened. What was that? So this is why we believe that the Gospel of Mark is the earliest gospel. I already shared with you, it's also the shortest gospel. Um, and in some ways, it's, it's the most um, feverish gospel. It's told with a breathlessness that is of the young. You can, I can sense that, you can sense that in the text. Okay, so that's a little bit about what we hear and see and will hear and see in the Gospel of Mark. And so now I'm going to invite you, and we're going to just wrap here today on this first opening um, passage of 
the Gospel of Mark. So chapter 1, verses 1 uh, through 8. Um, the beginning of the Gospel about Jesus Christ. Right off the bat, Mark's laying out, this is going to be a truth that's going to blow your mind. It's going to blow your mind. The beginning of the gospel. The word gospel means good news. If you ever hear someone say, I'm preaching the gospel, it means good news. It's euangelion. Uh, it's, just, it's just something that's awesome you want to hear, you want to know, you want to believe. But it's about this Jesus, the Messiah, right? Not just any old Jesus, the very Son of God. Then he references immediately an Old Testament prophet. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. So he immediately goes back. There's an Old Testament passage that talks about this, and this is it. This is the Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus the Christ. Verse 4, and so John came. And, and what's crazy, and it happens so quickly in the book of Mark, but, but the author takes um, this, you know, narrative of God's redemption for his people. He calls an Old Testament prophet. He ties it to John the Baptist, this person that was living at that time, and he kind of cements them together and says, this is the one, John the Baptist. He's the one that's making straight the way of the Lord. He's the one that Isaiah talked about. Um, one thing to understand is when we have this word um, recorded in 64, and I'm going to say this, we have this real life word that began at zero that reset the calendar for us. This was after years of hearing nothing from God. Like, it's hard for us to appreciate because we go, oh, yes, yeah, the Gospel of Mark. We get it, yes, the Gospel of John, the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Matthew. We understand that. But there had been utter silence. The prophets had stopped prophesying. No one had heard from God any longer. And there was this utter abandonment, this, this silence that had come from God. And so it's so critical that we understand as we get into the gospel that immediately John Mark says, wait, wait, wait. This Isaiah talked about this and here it is and he's only describing what happened in reality when Jesus is born. Other gospels give us a longer narrative of his birth, of Jesus' birth, right? The gospel of Luke. Other gospels give us a, more of a lineage of who Jesus is and why he's qualified, but not John Mark. John Mark's like, real quick, prophets, Messiah, John the Baptist, gospel, and we're on, we're running. And, and it's almost as if he wants to get as quickly as possible to the story of Jesus, which, by the way, is why I encourage people to read the gospel of Mark first. I always have, probably because I read the gospel of Mark first. But the gospel of Mark gets you right off the bat into, by, chapter, by verse 9, chapter 1, you start to hear the story of Jesus, which is the good news, which is the gospel. So he says, and so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He says, repent, repent, be baptized. You'll remember this, we will hear very quickly, this is the, the, the beginnings of the echo of Jesus' own, repent and believe. But here it's just repent. And then this is what he says, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. They went out to see this one who was in the desert preaching this baptism of repentance that, that we could be forgiven of our sins, that we must be forgiven of our sins, that we must be cleansed, must be washed. 
And so it says, then they went out to the, the countryside. You can see it there in verse 5. And having heard him preach, they confessed their sins and they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. This is John. John was uh, wearing clothing made of camel's hair and a leather belt was around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey, which I don't think we're supposed to think he was nuts for that. He was just foraging. He's just, it was not the most important thing to him. The most important thing to John was not the way he looked or how he fed or what, you know, I mean, how, how he nourished himself, but that he would be faithful in proclaiming the Messiah is coming. I want you to hear it again. In Isaiah, it says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one calling in the desert or the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make a straight path for him or make straight paths for him. Get ready, the Messiah is coming. And John is preoccupied with his obligation, his opportunity to proclaim this to Jerusalem. And this was his message. After me will come one whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. There is coming a God that is so holy, I can't hold a candle to him. And this is a guy who's given his whole life to the Lord. He's been full of the Spirit since he was in his mother's womb, and he's out there proclaiming that the, the King is coming, the Messiah is coming. And he's like, get ready, people. Repent of your sins. Be baptized, because there's one coming that's so holy, I can't even touch him. We know this about the culture, Right? The most, you think, well, that's weird. Who ties people's shoes anyway? But it was, the, the servant would do that. Uh, uh, someone who um, was the least important would uh, undress your feet and maybe wash your feet before a meal so that you were ready. I mean, it was just kind of, um, it was a servant position. It was, um, I'm trying to get the word, not derogatory, but it was degrading. It was, it was you, anyone could wash someone's feet. Anyone could tie, untie their shoes. Like, anyone can do it. And John says, but not this one. There's coming, God is so holy, I can't even untie his shoes. I'm not even worthy to crawl over and touch him. And then he says this. I have come to baptize with water, but he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. This will be the mark of a disciple. This will be the result of belief. We were talking earlier from the book of Acts about Mark's life. This is the acts of the Holy Spirit, the acts of the disciples, the acts of the apostles, that, that the Holy Spirit fell. And that indeed, when the church later would, would come places, they would discern God's presence based on the Holy Spirit of God being there. Is God at work? Is the Holy Spirit here? Then God is at work. Yes. And he says, I'm going to dip you in water because you've confessed your sin and repented, changed. You're not going to sin anymore. You're going to believe the Messiah is coming. You're getting ready. But he's going to come and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Fully immersed, fully anointed, fully believing, fully living out our faith. And then, this is what um, Mark records. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. You see? That's the moment. 
when these things had been fulfilled, when the prophet's word had been fulfilled, whenever John the Baptist had made straight the paths, he had proclaimed the truth of the kingdom was coming, that the king is coming. And at that perfect moment, we introduced Jesus in the gospel, the one from Nazareth. Um, so I don't know, you know, I, I want to, I guess, a couple challenges today as we think about the opening, this very quick getting to the, the, this narrative that we'll begin to hear of the stories of Jesus. Um, I don't know um, in your own life if, if you've if repented or, or believed. And we're past this in a way, right? We, we get to right now say, we don't have to go back and, and um, repent repent and be baptized for repentance of our sins for the washing of our, of our sins but we get to repent and believe the good news and be baptized in the Holy Spirit be anointed immediately upon belief but in your own heart um, have you made yourselves ready for Jesus and have I made my heart ready for Jesus have we paved a wide broad path and we said Lord just you know enter into our life Right? I mean, like, lay it out. Lord, you come however you want to come. The image that I have is not a narrow strip, you know. Um, we had our friends, the figures here, a narrow strip of, like, two, a dirt path where you land a bumpy airplane, but a great, big, fat, wide, jumbo jet lining thing. And he can land anything he wants from a paper airplane to the hugest plane ever made. He can just come into our lives. We're like, God, I'm so ready for you to come. Is your heart in that place? Because this is the gospel that, John Mark proclaims, get ready, because there's this one coming that's huge. Are you ready for him to enter into your life? Are we being obedient in that repentance of our sins? Have you prepared, prepared the way of the Lord in your own life? And then, um, do you know the power, the redemption and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know the baptism in his Holy Spirit? Because these are real present promises for us. These are connected directly to this Messiah who has come. Um, we are not left as those who have no hope or those who have no way forward. Um, this full redemption of the glory of God, this full manifestation of God in the flesh that was given for us. If you don't, and maybe you don't today, I would invite you to take that first step of faith and to say, you know what? I'm not even sure if I believe this, but I'm just going to open my, I'm going to, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to read the book of Mark. Matter of fact, maybe you don't believe today, you say, I'm going to read the book of Mark to prove it ain't right. I'm going to read it. I'm going to find the errors. I'm going to point them out to the pastor or to my friend who brought me to church. That's cool. Do that. But I'm telling you, we should be ready for the like, seismic scale of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, well, let's pray together as we continue in worship this morning and uh, that, that we might be ready. Uh, Father God, we just thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for the word that's preserved and the word that's alive. The word that does anoint us, the word that does um, impart wisdom to us, your son and our savior Jesus. Um, the word that spoke all creation into existence, the word that was with you in the beginning, the word that will be with you forever and ever, the word that we get to enjoy forever. Oh, Lord, I mean, honestly, I can't fathom the scale and scope of your glory. 
today, Father God, for those friends who are here who maybe don't believe or they're just like right on that, I pray that you would just gently and lovingly draw them in. I pray that they would take the challenge, you know, that they would read the Gospel of Mark for themselves, see who you say that you are, and then make their own discernment about that. Now, Father, for those of us who have been um, kind of lost in our sin, I pray that we would hear the word of John the Baptist proclaiming the wilderness, make straight paths for you, that we would open up our hearts and our lives, and we have no ability to prep the realm. We have no ability, but we need, we, we are open to that. So, Father, we want to make it as wide of a birth for you as possible that you might manifest your goodness and your mercy and your plan and your direction in our lives. So, Father, Help us to have open hands with that. Help us to have open hearts. Um, help us to have minds that can um, believe and, and, and that can really recognize our sin. Like, help us to see the sin that's in the way in our lives that we might, um, by your power, um, remove it, forsake it, uh, uproot it, that you might uproot it in our lives. And Father, for the great and glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, a, a son who was given for us, pouring out his blood, we give you thanks and praise forever, forever, and forever. You're so good. We worship you together today. May you be glorified as we continue to follow you and learn about you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.